Hey guys, welcome back to the OPB podcast. We are at episode number 58. It's just me today, my co-host Austin, very much on the topic of this podcast. We'll still be in bed because it is 4am where he is. So um, that's going to tie into what we're going to talk about here. We have Matt Maruka, the CEO. Would you be a CEO of RAR Optics? Um, exactly. So a lot of you guys will know what RAR Optics are because I get so many messages on my Instagram stories at night when I'm wearing these glasses saying, why are you wearing those Elton John glasses? So <laughs> they are, I, <laughs> I use the uh, Ra Optics brand of, of blue light blockers. I'm always hesitant to call them blue light blockers because I suppose they're more so just like frequency blockers, right? Um, yeah, actually, I, I started thinking of them more as like, you know, people say sunglasses. I call them like artificial light glasses or yeah, that's something along or you could say uh, sleep glasses maybe would be better, something mm. like that. Okay, so I've pu- I've posted, you guys have probably seen, I've posted a couple of pieces of, of research on why blocking certain frequencies after sundown is important, how it can affect your sleep cycle quality, um, et cetera, cognitive function and things like this, especially that fairly new paper that was done on university students blocking certain frequencies past sundown. So Matt really is the expert on this. You guys probably heard him with our boys from the Muscle Mentors uh, last week, I believe it was. Um, but I'm going to go ahead, Matt, and let you just kind of, well, we were just talking off air about um, like comparing the cheaper glasses to raw optics glasses and how it's kind of a false economy of you know spending 10 pounds on some clear lens glasses from amazon versus buying a, a pair like raw optics that do definitely block the certain frequencies um but we'll get into that in a sec matt if you could just like introduce yourself give a little bit of background on how you got into this space that would be awesome man yeah 100 percent. so my name is matt i'm from uh, philadelphia pennsylvania in the u.s and uh i've been in health for five years uh, now, almost six years, and I'm 19. So like I, I started when I was about 14 years old because I was having some issues with my gut. So every time I would eat, uh, I was having lots of gas and bloating. And I learned much later that it was 100% because of gluten. Uh, I definitely have a gluten, let's say, sensitivity uh, of sorts or intolerance not full-blown celiac disease where I react like crazy, but my gut just gets all, all bloated and I'll be gassy and whatnot. So I was having that all the time when I was like 14 and I had no idea that it was gluten. So kept eating it and I was pretty miserable. I'm glad I didn't, I didn't actually cut it out at that moment though, because the, the struggle pushed me into a completely different uh, realm than I ever actually thought I would end, end up um, meeting. But I found it when I, I was, in addition to the gut issues, I was dealing with uh, headaches every day. I was pretty tired and I just didn't feel good for a, a high school kid. You know, you're 14, 15 years old, starting off ninth grade, supposed to have energy, you know, be chasing after girls, playing sports and just having the time of your life. But I was generally, in addition to doing those things, I was generally feeling quite tired and not myself. Um, but the thing that's the most interesting is that I was never motivated by this uh, situation to actually really find a solution. Like I, my mom took me to the doctor and they gave me some allergy pills for my allergies, like, you know, really strong, like such miserable pollen allergies. Anytime it was fall or spring, I just couldn't enjoy myself because of the, the itchy uh, throat and ears and 
like nose and sneezing and stuff, uh, congestion, you know? So they gave me the Zyrtec or Claritin and then I had Advil for my headaches and then I had gut issues, like uh, some kind of, they actually said I should take Tums for my gut issues. So this was like a bunch of just Western medical stuff that wasn't working for me. It really didn't make an impact. Now I kind of gave up. I didn't really think that these were things that could be improved. So then I started having acne breakouts and that was like shit. I mean, you know, that's when it, it crossed the line. Let's say I was, you know, wanting to be good looking again, like thinking all about vanity purposes, but that's what it's like, especially in high school. So that's when I started researching, like, why am I having acne breakouts? And I thought maybe it was that my gut was damaged because my mom had said that eating greasy food could somehow cause acne. And so I was like, all right, maybe, maybe my gut's damaged. So then I got into this paleo diet world, which you guys are probably familiar with as, you know, people who are working out and getting into fitness. So I was doing that. I cut out all this junk food and I felt unbelievable. So even though I thought it was about acne, this is what I was getting to. Turned out that my allergies and my gut issues and my headaches basically just went away in a few weeks, cutting out all this junk food. Not fully, which was what led me deeper, but substantially improved. And I, I again, I thought like none of these things could ever be impacted by uh, anything that we would do. I mean, obviously, people in this community probably know better. But if you're like the normal average person, they actually actually just believe that headaches are just you can't do anything about them except take Advil. Um, you can't do anything about your, you know, gas and bloating except maybe take some other pill. Same thing with allergies. Allergies were the biggest one that I was like, what? You can fix allergies? Are you kidding me? So um, I got, I improved a lot. However, after about six months on a paleo diet, I was having some serious issues with energy, even, even less than that, about uh, two, three months, I was having issues with my energy levels. Like I was so dependent on sugar and carbohydrates from eating them all my life. And, and then other things that I learned later that were causing me to only really be able to burn sugar. Turns out it was my really, really uh, crap environment that I was living in, meaning poor sleep, loads of exposure, artificial light at night, and uh, other things like, like the Wi-Fi that we're talking over right now. These uh, frequencies that are foreign to our engines and our body, which are designed to sense external, uh, basically electromagnetic fields or light is the same word for that the same thing I should say. Um, our engines pick up on these, these frequencies and they actually cause changes in them and affect how we can burn sugar. There are studies that show that just having non-native uh, radiation around like cell phone signals, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, you know, people's ear pods that they're maybe listening to this podcast with or their wireless Beats or Bose headset, this alone can alter uh, cell signaling and it causes this thing called calcium efflux to occur, which is really bad. The calcium in our cells is not going to the right places. And um, then th th these processes also can alter our blood glucose and our metabolism with completely irrespective of food. So I didn't know this at the time, but this was causing me to be sugar dependent, carb addicted, and uh, that was not good, but I didn't know it. So I kept struggling trying to go keto, ketogenic, fat burning, healthy paleo diet. And I just kept struggling and struggling and struggling, trying to Again, the, the key thing to grasp is that I was trying to focus on diet. I was trying to find the food that was causing the issue because all I had ever learned now from these paleo guys, Mark Sisson, Rob Wolf, Chris Kresser, you know, Dave Asprey, Ben Greenfield, who I believe have good intentions, 
but they're, they're missing pieces of information. And so therefore the truth has to be told. Um, I, I was just looking for that food that was causing my issues, right? Couldn't find it. No matter how much food I eliminated, uh, in the elimination diets, nothing was, was just magically getting better. Like they implied it would even after weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, I was taking various supplements, like every supplement I could possibly think of. I went back through my Amazon order history a couple of days ago and looked back to like 2014, 2013 when I was doing this. The amount of money I spent on supplements, my parents' money that they just kind of like gave me was insane. It was like truly insane. And none of it was moving the needle. That's the key. Um, none of it was really moving the needle. So this is all about how to actually move the needle. And what I learned was that well, I learned from a guy named Dr. Jack Cruz, who I, I owe a lot of credit to him because he's my mentor and he's taught me a huge amount of information. And more than anything, he has done the, the awesome job of finding some of the most important researchers in the field of medicine and biology who have been sort of ignored for the last 150 years because their work was either too game-changing for certain standing paradigms that serve to lose you know, from, from this research like big companies or other scientists who had a big stake in their way of things being seen. Um, and also just people not really understanding the implications of their work and, and how it was really relevant for humans today and what it meant. So he kind of pointed me in the direction of some of these researchers who I'll talk a little bit, a little bit about, but basically I applied the protocols that he derived from these researchers work uh, almost blindly in the beginning. I, I mean, I got the science a little bit. It made sense. And my intuition just said, all right, you got to try this because this is the first person who I've, I've heard of who could explain why if diet and exercise and supplements are failing and not moving the needle, why that would be happening, why one should expect that if you're just trying to improve your health through diet, exercise, and supplements alone, which is the main way people often do it. Um, and it turned out it's what I said earlier, the, the lifestyle I was living was damaging my engines in my cells. So in a body, we have these mitochondria, these engines that allow us to extract energy from the environment, basically from, um, food and oxygen using food and oxygen to make energy. Uh, and basically if, if these engines don't work well, then we are screwed no matter what we eat and no matter what supplements we take. And no matter how much we exercise, in fact, exercising hard and a lot, if you have bad engines, can actually take years off the end of your life because you don't have the real uh, ability to support this and it's just totally going to keep damaging them. So anyhow, uh, the protocols were pretty straightforward. They involved just basically improving my sleep through getting uh, more sunlight and during the day and then avoiding artificial light at night primarily through the use of blue blocking glasses because it's hard to avoid. But if you filter out the frequencies that drive our clock and cause the issue, if we have them around, then you can actually still be like a normal person in the modern world. You're just wearing Elton John sun, like looking sunglasses at night, but it actually has a huge biologic impact. And we're going to get into this, like how, how important our internal body clock and our actual sleep cycle is and how important good quality sleep is for not only just recovery, performance, and all that stuff, but for optimal health. So I apply these protocols. All of the issues I was having, like with my energy and being able to stick to these different diets, pretty much went away um, in a few months of getting some sun exposure. And this is when I was about 16, so about two years into my, my sort of 
journey. And then from there, it was like, okay, this is obviously really important. I believe that the paleo stuff I learned about was like super important because it is to some extent, it's a step in the right direction, but this was 10 more steps in the right direction. Um, and once I did this, these protocols, which I've collectively come termed the light diet, um, because it's a diet of light rather than of food. That's, that's when things really, really changed and got better for me. And again, it, it was because I was focusing on the engine and not on the gas. And just, I'll, I'll close out this intro with an analogy. Um, if you think about a car, for example, and you, let's, let's pretend you took some, um, let's say you took a, like a wrench or something and you pulled the spark plugs out of someone's car. You, they really like, they stole your girlfriend or something and you really wanted to pull a trick on them. So pull out the spark plugs in their engine at night, somehow, you know, you get it opened up or whatever. And then they go in the morning and they know that they have a full tank of premium gas because they filled it up the day before. Uh, so they start the car and then, you know, it starts for a second, maybe, but then it's blowing black smoke and they're not able to go more than five miles per hour. And the thing just actually stops running. And the question that I pose is, would it make any sense for that driver to be blaming the gas for the fact that the car isn't running? Like, would it make sense if he says, uh, why isn't my car running? I put in premium gas. Uh, obviously it wouldn't make any sense. And the reason why is because the engine's broken. So it turns out in our bodies, you aren't what you eat. That's not really true. You have to be able to process the food and utilize it efficiently and well and generate energy well. And um, this allows us to stay alive. And if you can't do that, if your mitochondria, your engines don't work well, then you could be eating the best diet on planet earth, but it's not going to do anything for you because the diet isn't what improves the engine. And the other day I had a guy ask me when I told him this stuff, cause at the spa I go to where there's an ice bath and a sauna, which happen to be really good for our engines. Um, some guy asked me like, Oh, there's blue blocking glasses. I'm on the market for them. And then he said, wait, is it really true that the diet we're eating really doesn't impact our engines that much? And it turns out it really doesn't like you can make the engine substantially worse. If you're eating a bunch of junk food, it's kind of like using old oil and never changing your oil. Uh, or pouring like, uh, you know, really, really bad gas in it can clog the engine up. But once the engine's not working well, it's really, really hard. It's actually not possible to fix it with food because the things that cause the issue aren't food, generally speaking. And in the modern world, for modern people, the issue is bad sleep, which is caused by excessive artificial light exposure in the evening and a lack of sun exposure in the morning because sleep is when we repair these engines and make them optimal and sun exposure in the morning early to wake up our clock and get everything rolling. And then constantly throughout the day or as regularly as possible. Uh, again, if you live in the UK, this just means getting lots of sun in the summer. And then in the winter, you're taking more advantage of the benefits of cold exposure. If you, that is, if you go outside, which most people don't anymore. So like on a regular basis, I should say more than, 10% of the day is spent outside. Um, like in the U S 90% of the day is spent indoors by the average person. That's like a study that they did actually 92%. So this is a huge, huge problem because we're all destroying our engines today. Um, because we're not, we're basically getting out of tune of the systems in nature that we evolved to, to be tightly connected to. So our job is to basically now, 
reconnect, fix that so that we can have optimally function engines. And then we don't even have to worry as much about what we're eating. Cause if your engines work well, you can get away with a little, a little bit of something that's not optimal here and there and enjoy your life and still enjoy optimal health. But if your engine's broken, you're going to think you need to be like a total Nazi about every single thing you eat. And it's never going to solve the root cause of the issues like 99% of the time. So that's, that's kind of how I got into all this stuff. And that's pretty much also why I started raw optics because the, the uh, safety goggles on the market, which are the only thing that was on the market at the time when I started the company were really, really unattractive. And then there was one company called Swanee's that a lot of people might know from the States that's also on the market, but it doesn't block enough of the harmful blue light frequencies because it's, I think, more focused on aesthetics and not really on science. Um, but it's, you know, they're helping people, getting people sort of knowledge in the right direction, but they're selling a product that's giving people a false sense of uh, reassurance, just like the Amazon clear lenses, which are way, way worse, by the way. But that, that's the gist of the, uh, of the, how I got into it. Awesome, man. What an intro. Boom. <laughs> yeah well that's really why i wanted to get you on today because it, it extends further than just throwing on some blue light blocking glasses at night right it's it yeah. it's more about how do we anchor our circadian rhythm how much time do we spend outside at what time do we block artificial light how are we sleeping what's the quality of our sleep i think they're, they're all encompassing things that even in, in our realm of being a physique athlete, you, you need to maximize because that's our like most important recovery, recovery variable. Right. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's basically that because, um, I mean, a lot of people say, yeah, but I'm wearing my, my blue light blockers from, from sundown, you know, but they haven't been outside at all or, or they're sleeping all kinds of different hours. I mean, look at night shift workers. Uh, I mean, haven't night shifts just been classified as a type 2A carcinogen? Because Yeah, we- I actually didn't know that. I should know that. But it is. It actually should be a type 1, whatever the highest type is. Mm. Yeah, because we know. And that, um, that recent rat literature on rats that weren't asleep between the hours of 11 p.m. and 3 a.m., they had all kinds of negative health markers. Um, as compared to the other rats. So yeah, it, it's not, uh, I mean, even we can hypothesize, even if we didn't have clinical data on it, like humans have slept from sundown since however long it's only in the last, what, hundred and maybe 50 yeah. years. I don't know when the light bulb was invented. Uh, that exactly. so, it's yeah. Been, yeah. Since the industrial revolution in the UK and the States in like the late 1800s, and the innovation of the light bulb in 1879 by Edison was mm-hmm. when people really started working off of clocks rather than off of uh, the sun. Right, and back then people were working outside more, and we weren't sitting yeah. around on the phone, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, it's funny. It was until, I, it was, and then they did start working, and it's cool that it's actually in the UK where you guys are, that the factory thing was a really, really big deal. Like before any other place in the world like even before the states if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. um you guys had a hugely active uh you know industrial deal going on and turned out that the kids that spent their entire childhoods under the black smog sky of london and the other or wherever the big industrial cities were like manchester i think mm-hmm. um kids never got much light even in the summer and they lived in apartment buildings like you know like practically 
like slaves stacked on top of one another and spend their entire days indoors. And these kids developed rickets, which means their bones were totally bent and deformed. They never straightened out and grew properly. And then they found out, it turned out that the cure for rickets was ultraviolet light from the sun. So full spectrum sunlight, UV light, which is the kind that helps us to make vitamin D and charges up our battery and our body, which we can talk a little bit about. But um, that was the cure for rickets, sunlight. So it obviously follows that the reason the kids were getting rickets was because they were getting no sunlight. And then their bones would actually straighten out if they got them early enough. So it's pretty interesting that that's kind of, that just shows one example of how critical the sun is to our body. And now they've got the dermatology industry and the sunscreen industry trying to tell everyone that the sun's going to kill you and the sunglass business too, which is gigantic. Like I have a guy who I sort of half work with who makes my glasses, but because he's in the glasses business, you know, he's been in the sunglass business too. And we almost got into a little bit of a discussion about it at one point, but I respectfully did not waste my time because he wasn't obviously going to change his mind. The guy I like spends literally his entire day indoors under artificial light doesn't strike me as very healthy and, you know, basically good to do business with, but does yeah. not understand how how life actually works and and why some of the issues he's having probably with his health it just from the external appearance are linked to disruption of these systems yeah and i'm pretty sure this might be an egregious claim just for uh, just to say i'm not a doctor i'm not recommending anything but um i'm pretty sure i've still never seen any data on um sunlight exposure being having any direct links to causations of cancers um, yeah, no, that's actually not egregious at all. That is a very accurate claim. And like even the experts who you'll speak with, like guys like Dr. Cruz, guys like Dr. Alexander Wunsch, who's in Germany, who's a big sunlight uh, expert. He has a video on YouTube, if anyone's really curious, called Why the Sun is Necessary for Optimal Health. And people can find him on, on Vimeo also. That one's on YouTube. And he has really, really great videos, but he even asserts or just makes it known that there really is very little evidence showing there's actually none showing that the sun causes cancer. There was some studies that were done with artificial ultraviolet bulbs on animals that spent their entire lifetimes or huge portions of their life indoors with just ultraviolet, these ultraviolet bulbs. And then these animals got cancer. I think it was probably more linked to the, them spending probably a huge portion of their time under artificial light. Um, and also the, the mice and rats that they were doing it on were nocturnal. So they're not designed to get full spectrum sun like a diurnal animal, like a human or anything that's awake during the day. So, and that's pretty much like those, those flawed studies are the root of um, where these, where these things occur. And I, I haven't even been able, I found them at one point I was reading them. I didn't save them and I have trouble finding these studies. Like if you try to dig and understand really where these beliefs come from, it is really hard to do. You just get a bunch of like little brief studies that recite the same dogma. You know, if you look up in PubMed, UV light, skin cancer, sunlight, skin cancer, and they're just reciting the same claims like UV light, uh, it damages, it penetrates the skin and it damages DNA and therefore causes skin cancer. Uh, first of all, that's if, if people really want to know a little bit about this, you could even go read a book called Light and Shaping Life. Uh, but again, that's kind of a big textbook, so I can sum it up for you. Basically, what these researchers, it was a, this book's like a textbook of dozens and dozens of researchers' work 
over the last 200 years in the field of uh, light in life, particularly biophotons, which is like little tiny amounts of light that our cells use to communicate. They actually found out that the thing that stimulates cells to divide is pulses of ultraviolet light. So if you let that sink in for a minute, like what, and, and just if someone wants to understand the experiment, anyone who's real sciencey, they had like the tips of an onion, like an onion's roots pointed against another like onion, very, very at a close distance, at really small, uh, like, you know, experimental scale. And then the onion roots would like actually send an invisible signal and they didn't know what it was, but it was basically stimulating the other piece of like onion that was there or whatever this was, this, this plant they were using to grow uh, and, and grow more basically somehow. And then they put glass in between uh, and glass blocks ultraviolet light and the same effect was not occurring. So, you know, they tested all for all other confounding variables and their only conclusion that they could make was that there was ultraviolet light that's invisible being pulsed uh, that, that is causing this cell division of stimulus. And that's like a, a gross oversimplification of the experiment. And I'm probably missing some details because I read that like a couple years ago. However, the point that needs to be grasped is, is they went back and restudied this several times, several different ways and found consistently that our cells actually emit and communicate with this extreme low frequency ultraviolet light. Our DNA is basically signal, signals with this, with ultraviolet light, the stuff they say causes cancer. So again, after reading that book, it's like, this is, it, it literally doesn't even make sense that the, that sunlight could, not that it doesn't make sense. It's so, such an absurd claim that you can't even take it seriously once you understand the science that's out there because this, the body uses ultraviolet light to communicate. Interesting, the most interesting fact from that book is that when we die, our cells emit extreme low frequency ultraviolet light for 18 full hours, which is if someone's like a, a coroner or whatever, uh, they work with dead bodies, they would know that that's about the same amount of time that it takes from someone to go from being dead and, and warm to dead and cold and hard, rock solid, which is like rigor mortis. When we reach that point, when you know we're put up in a, in a coffin and casket and everything. But the point of that is that when we die, we're leaking, our cells are emitting the light that they've actually stored and captured. And if you wanted to get all spiritual or something, you could liken that to soul leaving the body when we die, because that's essentially what's happening. You don't point at the dead body and say, oh, you know, there's, there's Matt dead on the floor. No, there's his, his body. Cause Matt or whoever the person is, is gone. And, and what left, what, what, what really were they? They were the, the light and electricity inside their body that, that created the structure that the cells uh, followed. So it's just really interesting stuff that is well-researched that makes it pretty clear that, okay, UV light can't cause cancer. It's actually how we communicate. And it turns out that the cancer is much more likely caused by the modern disconnects, like the fact that no one's skin almost ever sees sunlight exposure anymore. People live indoors 92% of the time and skin cancer rates are skyrocketing. So if sun caused skin cancer, why would that be happening? Think about it. Like why, would, why would skin cancer rates skyrocket when 92% of the time people are living indoors? And when people spend 100% of their time outdoors or 50 or 60 or 75, skin cancer rates were, were so like almost non-existent before 1900. It was just not a common thing at all. Ask people's grandparents if they knew of many people who got skin cancer, you know, um, when they were when they were young. And it's just not common at all. So anyhow, that that's really stuff that people need to know. 
and they don't. Mm. And I like that point that you say, like a lot of these things are well researched because they are. And I think that's a problem with, with the bodybuilding world. They're so like um, reactive to just like, oh no, that's like oh, holistic rubbish, you know, hokum. Uh, it's nonsense. But, you know, it, I see it like with grounding. Like there is good research on grounding. There's, there's a lot. Yeah. But then you see people in the bodybuilding world apparently evidence-based like, oh no, 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 that's nonsense, you know, it's bullshit. Uh, well, yeah yeah it's funny when you use the term evidence-based like that's what they say about modern medicine they call it evidence-based medicine but what that it's just a euphemism for the only people who can do studies and afford double blind randomized controlled clinical trials are mm -hmm. pharmaceutical companies with hundreds of millions of dollars to blow because they're taking advantage of sick people all the time so that's it's really like it isn't evidence-based modern medicine. It's actually lies-based and deception-based. So it's a euphemism that they're, that they're using. Evidence would indicate um, what we've just been talking about. I mean, the, the stuff that even ancient, to be honest, ancient uh, Eastern traditions were aware of from thousands of years of, of careful experimentation and testing. doesn't mean everything they did and knew was right, but a lot of it was pretty accurate and the research of these of these scientists in Russia and the states and around Europe for the last 150 years has indicated that these ancient traditions were actually often very spot on things like acupuncture and that there are systems in our body like electrical there we're electrical and light based in nature and these systems explain how phenomenon like acupuncture could work and how um, other things that we just don't really understand actually happen. For example, like people don't think about this necessarily. Everyone knows that uh, our cells have DNA in them, but what a lot of people don't consider is that every single cell in our body actually has the same DNA. So from the soles of your feet, to the tip of your head, to the root of your brain, to the, the bone in your spine, these cells all have the same exact set of genes. So why doesn't someone who thinks they're evidence-based come out and try to explain to me why the cells in the bone become bone and the cells in your nerves become nerves and the cells in your tendons become tendons and the cells in your muscles become muscles. And they'll be like, uh, I have no idea. And I mean, most people never thought of that and it's fine. You don't have to know that, but the research is there. And it's done by a guy named Dr. Robert O. Becker who wrote a book called The Body Electric. And he made it very clear based on decades of study, that it's electrical signals throughout the body. And we actually have an electrical pattern that is there. And, and it's funny that I have a, a Qigong master who I met through a friend who's like this Eastern, well, he's French Canadian, but he's an Eastern master as far as their teachings go. He would tell me like, if you took away your body, you're still there. It's an electrical pattern. And then I was thinking back to this book I read called The Body Electric, where this researcher with more scientific terms was saying the exact same thing. And I was like, holy shit, this is unbelievable that we actually have, like, the, there's electrical basically signals that conduct along our nerves and everything that are basically there independent of our cells. So if a cell, like if an organ gets chopped or a limb gets chopped off, I mean, we don't have the, we don't, uh, pack enough power um, to regrow an entire limb. That's what this guy Becker was researching in World War II when basically, you know, he saw people in his residency having their arms and legs chopped off left and right after during World War II. And 
he was asking, okay, why can a salamander that's this tiny little thing regrow its limbs and a human can't? Well, it's because the salamander, they have a very strong electric current, a DC direct current electric current in their body. Um, and so they can regrow their limbs, but it, it's at the expense of being very small. So they like have, pack a huge amount of energy, but they're very small. But, you know, they, if they lose a limb, they can regrow it. Whereas we distribute that energy across a much bigger body, but we don't have enough of it basically in storage where if we lose a leg, we can just regrow the whole thing. And that's what Becker basically found out. Um, we traded, you know, size, like basically that ability for having a bigger size, which is in, in and of itself a very huge benefit for survival. But people don't even know about this research, but then they're going to go out and claim like, oh, grounding is bullshit, you know? And they have no clue that the body's electrical in nature and that when the sun hits the earth, it causes the ejection of a ton of electrons off the surface that we can actually assimilate and utilize uh, to basically have health, lower inflammation and all the stuff that's out there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, but you know, sh share this podcast with any of your friends who are like, oh, I think I know everything about the body and blah, blah, blah. And then they'll be like, oh, wait, maybe I should go back and read these books and then and, and try to understand a little bit more. I don't know everything either. I have very, very lacking knowledge, but I know that a lot of this research is out there and it's caused me to question this evidence-based stuff that I used to believe. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what the research has shown that there are, that there is an electron transfer that happens from the earth into your own physiology. So the rest would stand to absolutely make sense. Something I was going to ask you about is it's interesting. You use the term charging your battery. And I often think of it as um, like paying into the bank. And this is in terms of like vitamin D from the sun. So, I mean, taking the hormone exogenously is something that practically every bodybuilder does now. But I always question that because I think the yeah. thing the most people miss is that vitamin D can, does have a storage capacity hepatically. Um, and you also mentioned cold exposure in the winter and a lot of sunlight exposure in the summer. I'm assuming that we'll be getting enough vitamin D to be hepatically stored during the summer for us to sustain that like a sufficient amount of physiological levels of the hormone through winter. Is that that's correct? Actually, that is how it's supposed to be done. Mm -hmm. And that's the cool thing I like about bodybuilders and guys. Cause I'm not like, I'm not a bodybuilder by any means. I'm not even like a fitness buff per se. I just know what I know about this stuff. The only working out I really do personally is I go and surf and I uh, pretty much take ice baths, which is, it does, people say that's not a workout, that's like recovery. But actually, when you get in an ice bath, it revs up your metabolism like crazy. And just by sitting in an ice bath for a, like an hour or a certain period of time, um, you, you know, if it's too, if it's like freezing, like zero or whatever, then I'm not going to stay in for an hour, only a couple minutes maybe. But if it's like, you know, 15, I could probably stay in for, yeah, 30 minutes to an hour. And you can burn off an insane amount of calories like i forget the exact numbers but just a certain amount of time in an ice bath which is less than one would expect you burn off you can burn off nearly as many calories as you would burn running a marathon um and that might sound like no way that's not possible but the fact the fact that is that water when it's really cold it takes heat away from something really quickly and so when our body goes in there, people know that if your core temperature drops by like two, three degrees, you're dead. Literally, you'll die. So we, how do we manage to keep our core temperature so stable in, in water that's literally so much colder than us? You know? And basically, it turns out that, it's, that we burn our fat off huge amounts of calories. 
So this is why this guy, Dr. Cruz, um, who I mentioned, he, he became sort of famous on the internet after using ice baths to lose about 150 pounds. So like, it's a lot of stone if you're talking in stones, but it's a, a huge amount of kilos, like 70 kilos almost he lost, or even a little more that he lost in only about 18 months, just under two years, just taking ice baths because he, it was an experiment. He didn't think it was going to work. Um, he shared this, this stuff also, also uh, along with like the leptin protocol, which is how we leptin is this key hunger hormone that basically is our energy account. And if our leptin signaling is working well in our brain, then it's, it's really hard to get fat because when you have enough, enough fat and you have enough food, leptin tells the brain, okay, we're good. And then it, you don't have a big appetite, but basically through, um, through excessive artificial light exposure, and damaged sleep, we lose our sensitivity to leptin, which is created in our fat stores to, to tell the brain how much you know, energy storage we have. So we don't, we don't properly receive that signal from the fat stores of leptin, and then the body just goes into like, it thinks it's starving. So it's like, shit, I gotta keep eating and eating and eating. No matter how much you eat, you're, you're gonna want more food. And that's the only way some can get fat is if they're leptin resistant and that was what got this guy dr cruz famous super interesting but anyway the point is i don't do a ton of fitness stuff per se right but i love bodybuilders in the sense that you guys do talk about hormones and have an understanding of the body that like definitely even deeper understanding than i do in certain areas like you could probably teach me a lot about hormones and how certain things like insulin can affect certain processes of muscle building it's just not my specialty um but yeah so it's cool to to add this this layer of knowledge and, and kind of take it a step further now beyond what's what's generally spoken about you know at the at the moment in the bodybuilding world so let's let's pull this one back to actually what your company does in terms of blocking artificial light so we've spoken about getting sunlight exposure getting enough sleep um and just generally avoiding artificial light. So in terms of the physiological process of what we're trying to maximize, I guess, being melatonin secretion, why, why is blocking or artificial frequencies past sundown, wherever your location is, why is that important in the whole circadian rhythm process? Yeah, totally. So um, just, just so that people understand what a circadian rhythm is, it's uh, the circadian, that word comes from Latin for circa and diez. Circa means approximately, diez means a day. So it's this rhythm that's approximately a day, circadian. And uh, it turns out that it is, um, the reason it's approximately a day, this internal clock, is because it's driven by the external sunlight, which is approximately 24-hour cycle. So that's why it's, you know, at first, Named it because they found it and then they're like oh well obviously it's driven by external sunlight so what that means is that when the sun rises in the morning the in increase in the, the blue frequency uh, content of the solar spectrum just like uh, the Pink Floyd album Dark Side of the Moon I believe it is where there's the prism and the light passes through and it's white light that the sun's light is it's white light um, just like stars uh, it's not actually yellow. It's it's white primarily, and then it passes through the prism, and then it's broken in all the components of the rainbow, 
that's what's contained and they merge and they mix and then that appears white to our eye. Um, so that's when we say blue light, it's just a component of the white spectrum. And so when the sun's passing through the atmosphere, because of the way the physics works and the light hitting air molecules, a lot of the light gets scattered. And the light that's moving the fastest, the light with the highest uh, frequency, is scattered the most, which means blue light and purple light are scattered the most. So the sky is blue because blue and purple light are scattered. Just like if you think of a pack of wolves running through the forest really fast, the wolves that are running really fast might, like, I just think of it this way, they might run into a tree and then they kind of get diverted off course. But the ones that are running a little slower can kind of weave around the trees, right? So that's what happens when the blue wavelengths are, or, uh, yeah, the blue wavelengths are literally shooting, going through the air or through the vacuum, whatever, through the air, they're scattered off to the side, leaving the sky around the sun looking blue and purple, even though we perceive it as blue, there's almost as much purple light there because both of them are scattered. and then the sun that comes to us doesn't have as much blue light and that's why it looks yellow as a result. That's actually the same reason why our day lenses that we sell appear yellow because when the blue light is filtered out, you have the rest of the colors mixed together. Um, red, orange, yellow, green, basically those appear yellowish when put together. So how does this relate? Well, as the sun comes up, it has to go through less and less atmosphere. That's why when it gets up, like people know where I am, for example, I'm in Bali right now in Indonesia. So when the sun gets really high in the sky, which it only really does on like in equatorial places, gets really high, like directly overhead even, it has to go through the least amount of atmosphere at that time. And that's why it can burn you so much because even less ultraviolet is filtered out from the sun, but still all the cosmic rays and stuff are filtered out so it won't like kill you. But the point is that the biggest change from when the sun comes over the horizon early in the morning to once it gets a little later in the day is the blue frequency, the component that's filtered out. So our brain and all animals that exist on the surface of the earth today have this little clock in our eyes that talks to our brain called retinal ganglion cells that were discovered in the late 90s. And these just look for blue light frequencies to know whether it's day or night. It's super simple. But that's kind of the explanation for anyone who wants to have the science behind it, right? Because there's going to be guys who are really smart and they want to know what's the deal or girls. So basically when you have this blue light during the day from the sun, not from like fake light boxes and stuff, even if it's a cloudy UK day, it's still a lot of light enough to turn these systems on in the morning. You want to get that in the morning to wake you up. Even just watching the sunrise is optimal. Um, but you know, 15 to 30 minutes, just do whatever you're doing, but do outdoors with the window open and you're good. Um, and you're going to feel a huge impact. Like I had a guy recently tell me just how much, just having the sun in the morning through his window in Los Angeles, you know, just read, eat breakfast, just there with a light on him, how much it changed his mood. It changed his life. And the guy's like Hispanic. So he had darker skin and he required more light. So for him to change was really, really profound. Again, the reason why people with darker skin need more light is because their skin filters or dissipates more of it because they're designed for a place like where I am, Bali or Africa or South America, where there's a ton of sun. Um, anyway, so that's why we need the light during the day. But the converse, we're designed to get sleep and repair so that we can regenerate. And that's actually like our primordial state is sleep. Wakefulness, based on the research that I've understood wakefulness and consciousness was evolved later on in the game. So 
we're actually designed to sort of be in that sleeping regenerative state, just like if you think like a bacteria, like it might move around this, that in response to certain light or stimulus or whatever. But generally you would probably consider bacteria more asleep than you would awake. Well, that's actually our primordial state. Consciousness, wakefulness was evolved as a way to be able to extract more nutrients from the environment. And it's a great innovation, but that doesn't mean it's our default state to be awake. Sleeping is actually sort of our default state. And that's when we do all of our repair. We've condensed all of our regeneration into that period. Humans don't even hibernate. We, uh, because interestingly enough, we were powered by the sun. Animals that live in primarily cold climates, I should say mammals that live in cold climates year round, they hibernate because it's more efficient for them to scavenge a ton of food, which is basically just light, sunlight packed into a dense source. They scavenge tons of it when it's the sun shining on their part of the earth during the summer. They pack it on as fat and then they sleep for six months and burn it off, which is basically just releasing stored sunlight to keep their body warm and keep their mitochondria functioning, just like you burn a fire. The humans and other animals that live towards the equator, there's constant sun, so you have more energy powering your consciousness so that you, because consciousness is very energy demanding. So you have sunlight and light to power that. And that's why we don't have to when we are closer to the tropics. Um, humans evolved in that place, so we never went back to hibernating. We were able to use things like fire to survive in cold climates, which is essentially the same as packing fat on and, and burning it off. It's like Wim Hof, the Iceman, people probably know about. He says inner fire. But when you get in cold water or cold temperatures, you start burning off your own fat stores. Literally, it's the exact same thing as burning a fire because you're using hydrogen-based fuel, which is either wood or your fat on your body. You're reacting it with oxygen that you either breathe or a fire just gets from the area around it, and it releases heat as a result of the process of binding hydrogen and oxygen to make water. So anyway, that's like maybe a long-winded explanation, but the point is that we need to sleep. It is very important because that's the only time that we get that regeneration as a human. Uh, we don't have the hibernation time to also be doing it. So if you're not sleeping, you're aging really fast. And I just did a podcast with a friend here who's here in Bali, actually, uh, runs a, a health uh, sort of brand called Health Simple. And basically, he loved my analogy that I gave to explain what sleep is. You're born, uh, we don't have video here, but you could imagine me holding up one hand and saying, here we are, born, birth. Here we are, on the other hand, um, death, right? Every night, every day when we're awake, we move, my hand moves uh, from birth a little bit closer to the hand that is death. And then every night when we sleep, we go a little bit closer back towards life where we started, right? Not as much, but just a little bit closer. So, and we need to be sleeping, but there's still a bit like a net loss overall, a net movement towards um, death, but we're, we're getting, we're still able to minimize it by sleeping, right? But if you just have really crappy sleep or you don't sleep or you sleep at the wrong time of day, you're just absolutely accelerating that trajectory towards death really, really rapidly. And the key thing also that people need to know is that, I mean, some people, you're already sold, you don't need this information, but for those who are really sciencey and they, you know, they know about the hormones, they want to know why this really happens the way it does, it's because the mitochondria, the engines in our cells, they have this, their own DNA, just like our cell and our body has its own sort of genes that we get from our mom and our dad. Our mitochondria, our engines, have their own set of genes that 
that come from just our mothers. And these are in the mitochondria, which used to be its own bacteria based on, you know, if someone believes in evolution, that's what the evidence shows. Even if you don't, it doesn't matter because it just they can see in a cell, the mitochondria has its own set of genes too. And the reason is because it needs those to stay in the mitochondria to, to manage the process of energy production, just like a power plant has to have the wiring diagram on site in case of any problems um, to be able to fix them. The, the general blueprint for the power plant can be over in the mayor's office, which is our equivalent to our regular genes. But the wiring diagram, those few key genes need to stay in the mitochondria. So when we are alive during the day, these mitochondrial genes naturally become mutated, just little bits here and there. Um, as a result of the generation of free radicals, but it's a natural process and it's supposed to happen to help us adapt to our environment. And it, there's a, a limit to our lifespan because these mutations accumulate over time. And at a certain point we hit like a threshold or a, a max and we, we won't live anymore. We'll just die of old age. But now if we don't sleep as much, we really accelerate the gener the mutation, um, the rate of these mutations in the mitochondria called heteroplasmy, which is the work of this guy named Dr. Wallace, Dr. Doug Wallace in Philadelphia, who's proven that all the modern diseases today, from heart disease to Alzheimer's to cancer, they're mitochondrial diseases. In other words, they're dysfunction in the engines in our cells, which are, are what generate our energy and not in our normal genes. In other words, all the budget is spent on looking in the genes for these causes of these diseases, but he says they're never going to find it because he's found it and it's in the mitochondria, but he's a big researcher. So he's starting to get a lot of recognition in the States. He's at a big research institution in my city, actually Philadelphia. And he's won some big awards already for his findings. But the key thing is that's what sleep does. We're repairing our engines, which allow us to do our awesome lifts and performance and everything. And if we don't have the optimal sleep, we're taking time off of the end of our life. And so how to get back to your question? Well, basically, when we're exposed to artificial light at night now, we don't get the proper signal to drive regular sleep, which is darkness. So we have artificial light after the sun goes down, which here in Bali, it's going to go down in probably 30, 45 minutes. Um, then the, my brain is supposed to start registering, okay, there's no blue light present anymore. And it, this is a passive process essentially. And then after about three hours, the brain's releasing a lot of melatonin, which believe it or not, the, the creation of melatonin to, to store it up actually starts under the influence of strong sunlight in the day, which is to get back to your other point that you made, if someone just wears our, our glasses, but they never got any sunlight in the morning or during the day, then you're shit out of luck basically, because they're not going to work optimally for you. They might still, they, they still will have a huge benefit compared to not wearing them and having a bunch of artificial light at night to really be able to get really tired and have that benefit. You need to be getting morning sunlight exposure and optimally some exposure throughout the day as well. I mean, this is how we're designed to work. So people who say, Oh, but I work in an office, so I can't get it. Well, then you're going to not function as well as you're designed to. And that's just, there's no, if you can't have your cake and eat it too in this situation. So basically you want to either avoid and like, live in darkness after the sun sets, avoid all these artificial lights or use candle lights only, which is super cool or red and orange bulbs, which you can go buy on Amazon. Raw optics will probably offer something like this in the future. However, it's, you know, the products are available on Amazon. If you look for the right things like incandescent, 
bulbs that are either have a red or orange ceramic covering on them, but again, incandescent. You don't want compact fluorescence because they flicker um, because of the way they make light. They have an imperceptible flicker that's really, really fast and creates a stress response in our brain. Same with LEDs. So incandescents are optimal. And uh, even just Edison bulbs, Thomas Edison incandescent bulbs that you'll see in a restaurant where you see the cool filament and you can see it and it, it's really pretty and it's really dim and warm. That is way better than any uh, other lights that are out there pretty much. But you don't want to get the LED version that's brighter and uh, often cheaper and um, more energy efficient. But that's not optimal because it's just subtracting energy that we would actually utilize. We use the heat that's dissipated by these bulbs that, that they say make it energy inefficient. But uh, the amount of <laughs> energy, by the way, that's used as a result of changing our light bulbs to all the ener energy efficient ones, that's the energy used in hospitals to cover the healthcare result of destroying so many people's sleep with these new energy efficient bulbs is they're not energy efficient because these hospitals use insane amounts of energy to basically, you know, with, for cancer patients, patients with Alzheimer's disease, all of which are thoroughly accelerated and pretty much created by this fundamental problem and other factors as well. But this is the biggest one. And this is the explanation for why these diseases are skyrocketing today. And people are blaming it on food in the food world, but it isn't a foundational enough um, thing. And they can't, this is why going back to my story, their understanding is lacking because if their understanding that was all about food was true, then when I went full on paleo and cut out every single last drop of anything unpure in my diet, I should have been like Adonis and feeling amazing and whatnot. But it was only when I started actually sleeping better, going in the sun, creating all my hormones, going back to hormones naturally, which are all signaled and driven by and created under the power of solar light. Um, that's when I started physically getting better. And like people ask me all the time, like, so which, which gym do you go to? Like, where do you work out? What do you do? Like this or that and the other thing. I told them like, I really almost never work. I never work out except surfing occasionally. And people were like, are you serious? Like how, you know, cause I have a pretty strong, like built physique, not compared to someone who's like actually, you know, pumping iron, but just for a dude who doesn't work out that much. Whereas most people today are just really scrawny and skinny. Um, and a lot of people, no matter how hard they try, they can't gain weight because they have hormonal issues and other issues that are linked to destroyed metabolism, which is fundamentally and foundationally almost always tied to bad sleep and destroyed sleep quality and a lack of sunlight that drives all these processes naturally. So that's a thorough explanation to why having all this artificial light at night is bad. Blue blocking glasses filter out the specific frequencies that trigger um, our you know, circadian rhythm to, to get going. And there, as a result, we're able to live in the modern world and exist and not be um, like living in a cave, but we're able to also not have our melatonin completely destroyed. We're actually able to have normal secretion and a normal rhythm. So that's why it's a huge issue. Perfect. Okay. One last thing I want to ask you, Matt, before we, um, we sign off here. Um, is so we've spoken about kind of the sleep wake cycle, how you'd want to program that. We've spoken about um, blocking artificial light, um, daylight exposure, um, and I'm kind of thinking of this 
from the position of somebody that might be thinking, okay, I've never considered any of these things. I want to set up my circadian rhythm, so to speak, for optimal recovery from my training. Um, what do you like to do in regards to food? Because some like considerations I think are like, well, if we were going to look on an evolutionary status, um, I think the common thing that you've probably seen is like people um, say, you know, I'm, I'm bulking for winter or something when really historically winter would probably be the time in climates like, like the UK that people wouldn't have been eating so much. Um, and there would have been a lot of fasting involved. And also people aren't really eating after sundown. Whereas, you know, uh, traditional bodybuilder types pretty much eating every two hours right up to the second they fall asleep if possible, which I don't, personally feel is an optimal setup so how could somebody set up their eating pattern to really optimize their recovery in terms of like circadian rhythm function yeah 100 i'm going to say something that's not probably popular among bodybuilders something that people probably haven't considered but based on what i said earlier about the uh the salamanders that use again this is kind of a side side answer to your question i'll get to your question fully but I've been meaning to say this throughout the whole the whole podcast, but basically, um, talking about salamanders earlier on, and they use their this current, this energy current that we all have in us. You could even call it our chi or our life force, prana, like the uh, ancient Eastern people would call it. But we only have a certain amount of this, basically, that we can utilize, and we could get more of it through sunlight and and uh, eating a lot of seafood, which I didn't mention. That goes to your diet question, eating a ton of seafood, especially in the winter, because it allows us to make the most of what we have to work with as far as the sun that's out there. Because just like fish use it, we use, uh, we put this omega-3 called DHA, which we get from seafood. And by the way, never, ever take it from the pill form because it's typically very, very um, oxidized and toxic. And I had a guy who used to run one of the companies that was viewed as the cleanest vegan DHA company. And he told me, after he learned how it actually works and how it's actually produced and everything and the actual toxin counts in this, even the cleanest ones, seriously, people aren't going to believe this, but they should not be consumed. He said that it would be better to eat fish. Now he has his own vegan uh, philosophy now that he's going after, but he said, if I were ever going to try to go after DHA and omega threes, it would be way better to eat seafood whole than any of the supplements that are out there. And he was in the business big company that a lot of people would probably know the name of if they're in the health space. Um, anyhow, so yeah, seafood allows us to assimilate this uh, sunlight because we put it into this omega-3 into our skin. And, and funny enough, the highest concentration is in our eye, in our retina, because again, this is where we convert light into electrical signals. So that anything you're seeing right now, any image that any of us are seeing right now is because light is hitting our retina and the molecule DHA, this omega-3 from seafood, is converting that light into an electrical pulse that allows us to perceive images. It is magnificent. And we put this in our skin and our eye and it allows us to assimilate and utilize light very well. So seafood is like, as far as the light diet goes, that is the biggest food consideration, is eating tons of seafood and drinking lots of good quality spring water. Um, especially if you live in a city where you live in a place or you have health, any health issues, or if you're under lots of artificial light, your body is going to be naturally uh, dehydrated, not naturally, I should say unnaturally dehydrated um, because the mitochondria can't make water, which is actually what they do. We actually do make um, a certain like a liter and a half of water per day as a result of our 
metabolism. Like I said, if we use uh, food or fat on our body and react it with oxygen, so hydrogen and oxygen together make water. That's how we make energy because this process actually releases energy. Same thing in a fire. It, it makes water, but it's all evaporating really quickly, so you don't see it, and it releases a lot of energy. That's what actually happens in a fire. So us and a fire are very, very similar. We're just a controlled fire that burns a lot longer. Um, it's really, really cool. That's what life is. But anyway, the point is that if you're uh, in a bad environment, aka pretty much everyone who's probably listening to this, who's lived getting poor sleep, getting exposed to artificial light at night, living around cell towers and not in nature. So, you know, with the Wi-Fi on at night, these are things you want to turn off to re recover better, turn off your Wi-Fi, keep your phone away from your body when it's on, put it on airplane mode while you sleep. You don't need to be available while you're sleeping for Hey, dropped out. <laughs> All good. Can you hear me fine? Yep. You can just carry on where you where you uh, left cool. off. So I'm going to try to be concise on this one. Um, bodybuilding is not natural, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong about it, but from based on what I've learned, I I owe it to the listener to disclaim this because this I would otherwise be doing everyone a disservice. Based on what I've learned, we only have a certain amount of this, this charge, essentially, in our body. And again, we can add more with sunlight and seafood um, consumption together. But what this means is that when we take this limited amount of energy that we have to distribute throughout our body, um, as far as this, this, let's say, vital energy, that's the reason why a salamander, it uses it to be able to regrow limbs humans use it to have a bigger brain function and again we're able to extract more of it because of our position on the food chain from the food we eat from the, the way we live from the fact that we lost all of our hair to absorb sunlight through our skin this is getting back to your point about charge and, and that kind of stuff in our bank account let's say so if we decide that we want to bodybuild we're taking a ton of this energy and pouring it into our muscles to make our muscles really big and it makes us you know obviously it um it makes people more attractive let's say for example to women if someone if that's someone's goal because that's like a sign of, of fitness and, and reproductive ability but or let's not i wouldn't say reproductive ability necessarily i should say making making it so that you can guarantee the survival of the offspring if you're if you're strong you're going to be a secure mate from an evolutionary perspective right and so that's i think maybe some of the appeal for for bodybuilding although i'm not 100% sure um, other reasons someone's interested, but nothing, again, nothing wrong with it. But someone has to consider that if you don't do the things that we're talking about as far as the light diet goes, in other words, you're deprived of the things that charge our body up, including grounding, including primarily getting sun exposure when it's around in the summer, um, then ultimately we're going to be stealing in the long run from energy that would otherwise be being used to optimize the things that make humans humans, which is our brain and our heart, the two things that function really well. Like as people age and get, you know, closer and closer to death, 
rarely do they look like a god, uh, like a Greek god, I should say. They typically lose muscle mass and become less and less, um, yeah, less and less great looking as they age. But the things that they keep their energy focused on are the brain and the heart. Does that make sense? So if someone decides that they're going to make bodybuilding their career or their focus, you have to be aware of the risks that you're diverting energy from your brain and your heart into your muscles. And you have to be very, very aware of the risk that you're taking in doing this. And again, if you follow the things of the light diet, like you're getting enough sun to power up your battery, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can be super strong, uh, very like fit, good looking and built and have optimal brain function. But if you are not, you might, some people might basically have declines in their cognitive function at the benefit of their muscles, but at the expense of their brain. So in other words, just like salamanders put this energy into regenerating limbs, we put it into our brain and our heart to function and live longer and expand our, extend our healthy lifespan. Um, apes, they put it into their muscles because that's their main way of survival. Where humans, our main way of survival is our brain. So that might not be something that you expected me to, to bring out, but it's something to consider. This is why it's particularly important for the bodybuilding crowd to know about the things that we got to do to maximize this charge in our body. Cause your diet, people are diverting a lot into places where we wouldn't necessarily have put it. And again, if we want to look back to people in nature, if you look up pictures of wild Africans on the Savannah, there's lots of pictures from like Weston price, people like that who study these people, they don't even look oftentimes like super, super jacked, but obviously they're super strong and fit. Sometimes they are really jacked but they're living in an environment that they have so much energy in their battery, basically, they can afford to, to have the best of both worlds. But so this is something people should consider. So it's, yeah, so as far as if you have any, any thoughts on that, um, feel free to throw them in. So as far as dieting, yeah, go for it. I totally, I, I totally agree with you, especially bodybuilding isn't natural. No, absolutely not natural. All the way from the way that we eat, the way that we train to the drugs that, we all take um it's absolutely not health focused and that's why i'm so like keen to get this podcast and people like yourself on here so that we can maybe ameliorate some of the negative health issues of bodybuilding so it doesn't have to be quite as bad but anybody looking like for optimal health outcomes if you're looking at bodybuilding you're looking in the wrong place um yeah that is i'm really glad that you you bring that up because i i think I mean, I actually don't know the general perception, so you've shared more, you know more than I do about it, but if anyone thinks they're doing bodybuilding for health, it is not for health, generally. I mean, fitness, sure, fitness here and there, but so anyway, but the cool thing is based on what we've talked about, this is the information, and again, I'm going to refer people to Dr. Cruz if they really want to dig deeper and have their head split open. He's literally a neurosurgeon, so he does that, but figuratively, <clears throat> he does it on his blog. Um, then you could get even more info, but I'm going to tell you that I spent four years reading his blog and getting this information uh, that he had kind of pieced a lot of it together from these other researchers. And uh, this is basically the summary, getting sunlight in the morning, eating a ton of seafood, uh, good, drinking good quality water, um, avoiding all these non-native electromagnetic field frequencies, you know, getting into nature. That's the simple way to say that, or turning off your Wi-Fi while you sleep avoiding living in major cities if you can. And if you do, um, you know, making sure you get a lot of time outdoors in the sun and nature, 
and then uh, getting darkness in the evening, sleeping a full night and so on. But again, to, to just kind of nail your question about, about diet, uh, the best that I, I could recommend from what I've gathered is eating this, the paleo diet. So like ancestral uh, style, however, eating with a huge focus on seafood rather than meat. So like almost like a pescatarian diet, you know, eat your meat, sure. But the seafood is giving you all the same protein and amino acids and whatnot, but a ton more and, and a lot of minerals and all this, but a ton more DHA, which is so important for a human brain. In fact, that's actually what distinguishes people don't really know this but the thing that distinguished humans evolving from apes was our access to a ton uh, it wasn't organ meats because lions eat tons of organ meats but they don't have human brains um, it was the access to seafood that we allowed that and this is shown by the fact that we have more of this omega-3 dha in our brain than pretty much any other animal besides dolphins who obviously only eat seafood literally that's all they have to eat and we were designed to eat a ton of it. And this is why the first humans, the ones that lived on the Mediterranean, well, the one, you know, they evolved in Africa, right? But then they moved to, some of them moved to the coast of the Mediterranean, France and Romania. These were known as the Cro-Magnon, the first European humans. And these are the, the biggest brained people ever known, ever found on earth. And what were they eating in their coastal areas? They were eating tons of seafood, like the Mediterranean diet. So... Huge, huge consideration for, for people, but uh, paleo diet, seafood focused, and, and uh, seasonal is the key too. So if you're in the UK, like you said, Joe, people probably should be eating ketogenic and fasting. But if you're working out under blue light, you're telling your brain it's summer, you're staying up late um, with artificial light, that's going to drive huge carb cravings. So blue blockers alone can actually eliminate night carb cravings. You just get more tired and you just go to sleep instead of eating. Um, there's a guy named Sachin Panda, big circadian rhythm researcher in the States, one of the biggest, just did some TED Talks, one in Venice Beach. Amazing. I recommend it for anyone. And he actually showed, um, this is super fascinating. He showed that when you eat is more important than what you eat. And the way I can explain that as simply as possible, I don't want to um, spoil the talk and not exactly present his studies properly, but essentially what they did was they let animals like various animals um, eat healthy foods what they considered healthy across a 24-hour window so they basically would eat even through the night um, you know because they're just I guess given open access to this food which animals in nature probably wouldn't really have and they would eat through the night and they had lots of metabolic issues basically but then they took the same basically animals same conditions and everything and then fed them only they fed them basically junk food, what we would consider typically junk food, but only within like a 10 hour eating window, which isn't even that restricted. You know, some people do only three or four hour eating windows or, you know, eat once a day or only two meals a day or whatever, right? 10 hour eating window. Um, and they didn't have anywhere near as much metabolic damage and all kinds of other problems. And they did the same studies on humans and found the same thing. The people who ate within a restricted window had all kinds of huge benefits, even if they didn't change their diet from whatever food they were eating before. So it just shows that the time that we're eating within the light, light being present, because again, food is just like blue light at night, it disrupts our natural sleep cycle because it keeps us up digesting. And it is like a form of light exposure at night when it goes into our gut, because that's what we've talked about. Food all comes from basically either animals or, or I should say plants or animals that ate the plants and the plants are coming from the sun, essentially. Uh, that's where the energy fundamentally comes from so that's the key thing i th i do think like 
maybe someone won't be able to get full ketogenic until they really improve their mitochondrial function. That's, that's what it took me. It took like two years. Uh, probably wouldn't take as long for someone who, who, uh, you know, does exactly what we're sharing and, and maybe grew up not like I grew up as a eight year old, five year old, four year old with TV and all this stuff. Most people who's probably listening are a bit older, so they didn't quite grow up with as much technology exposure, which is the thing that really damages these processes. So they're at a bit of an advantage over me. Um, and, and the rest, I mean, if you look at like the younger generations today, you can easily tell the problem that's going on when you see them like babies looking at iPads and stuff like this is a mega, mega problem. And I actually believe we're truly going to have a generation of, um, basically, I, it is. I want to <laughs> say, I want to say, say a word that's not politically correct. So I'm not going to say it, but generative humans, basically. Um, whose brains don't function properly, like autistic children, basically, mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's or behavioral issues. It's going to be really, really interesting to see the next 20, 30 years play out. Because these, when it happens that bad at such a young age, this, this problem of a wireless, like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth exposure and blah, 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 plus all the blue light and poor sleep and never getting any sun, this is not really reversible. Like, I'm lucky I caught it at age 13, 14, but the damage that's going to happen to these kids' development and is happening actively every single day is not going to be reversible in a lot of cases. So if you have kids, guys, get your kids in the sun, never let them see an iPad or any screen device ever. Um, even if you actually have to like spend time with them instead of like throwing them the pacifier. I mean, that's rough. Easy for me to say as a guy who doesn't have a girlfriend or wife or kids at the moment, but Hey, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a tough truth. So that's some pretty knowledge for people, I think, to, to roll, uh, to start off with. Yeah. I mean, me and my wife, the only time we spend together, and we spend quite a lot of time together. It's not sat in front of the, the TV. We go out, you know, we do stuff. We go, we literally just leave phones at home and, and go for a walk in, in the park in the woods near us. Yeah. It's, it's much more valuable than, you know, just not talking to each other and just sat looking yeah. at the screen. Yeah. I mean, I get the argument like, okay, movies, a movie occasionally, that's like a form of art. Okay, cool. Go watch a movie, go to the movie theater for Christ's sake, make like an outing of it, you know, do something cool or, you know, have some friends over it, watch a movie, right? TV series. Hell the fuck. No, absolutely not. I mean like TV series to me are, you could, you could call them art like you could call a movie, but it is just an absolute, in my opinion, way to waste your life away. Cause like, it's really not valuable. It's a bunch of programming that is really just putting in ego driven ideas into people's brains most of the time. I mean, there's probably some, there are some good TV shows out there, so I shouldn't just generalize too much, but not a good way to spend your time. If you like, you know, there's people, I have friends who are maybe like either jealous or uh, just in awe that I have a business and I'm 19 and I'm doing this. Like I haven't watched TV series since I was 10 years old or four, like 13 years old. I'm dead serious. Like I tried to watch Breaking Bad just because I heard how good it was. I watched the first episode and I was bored because like real life is so much more interesting mm-hmm. than television. Um, so just just like really good good stuff for people to keep in mind. I'd say. But man, thank you so much for <laughs> like reaching out and having me on the show. And um, also before you launch this, we can um, we can definitely set up like a discount code ten percent off for your uh, for your listeners if we didn't already do that. Although I think we may have like um, I did speak. Did we do that. Uh, I did speak to um, your team about it. That would be wicked because I usually give people the muscle mentors code, but 
obviously. Oh, no, no. You have your own code. 100%. So we can just do, uh, we could do like Joe Jeff for UK. We can just chat about yeah. that off the recording. Anyway, so you guys will have a, any listener, you'll have 10% off um, for the glasses. And then we'll, we'll uh, support Joe's podcast a bit in exchange for you purchasing those as well. So that's pretty good for everyone. But also it's the best for you, the purchaser, because then you get a good looking pair of glasses. Uh, we have a new website dropping in about approximately two weeks, but it seems, you know, things like take a little longer. We're going to have some new frame styles, which will be cool. The old ones are also great. Uh, it's just some other options we're going to offer so people can see that uh, coming up and lots of good, lots of good to come basically. So yeah, I appreciate it, man. Of course. Yes. Yeah. So we'll sign off here. Everybody please go and check out raw optics. So and the light diet. So all of the social media links, website links, and where you can purchase the glasses are going to be in the show notes below. Please do check them out. I'll get you guys a discount code from Matt. So drop me a DM either on Instagram, email, or Facebook, and I'll shoot that discount code over to you. Thank you everybody for listening. Before we sign off, Matt, is there anything you want to plug before we go? We just plug raoptics.io. There's no W. It's raw like the sun god. R-A optics.io is our current site. Um, soon we'll be on raoptics.com and there'll just be a redirect. So it doesn't matter which one you go to. You'll get to the right site. Um, on Instagram, I'm at the light diet. So that's just the light diet. And that's where I'll be announcing an upcoming light diet course that I've just filmed while here in Bali showing you the actual day-to-day application and considerations and science behind each of the steps of the light diet, the six main steps. We didn't get into the last one, but it has a lot to do with just basically uh, purpose, you know, having purpose, having faith in the process and having something you're living for. That's going to really make the process work. So just those two things, the light diet and raw optics, and you're off to the races. (laughs) Nice one, Matt. Thank you very much for coming on guys. Thank you for listening. Please check out the show notes. I'll catch you all in the next. Yeah.